Welcome to Digital Stratosphere, the podcast that helps organizations throughout the world with their digital transformation journeys. Here, you will find independent and technology agnostic advice with no software vendor sales spin to help you make the best decisions for your organization. Whether you are in the process of selecting technology, in the midst of your transformation, or trying to get your initiative back on track, Digital Stratosphere provides expertise and best practices to help. I am very excited to welcome Wayne here from our APAC team um, to talk about some global SAP challenges. Um, so welcome, Wayne. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks, Kyla. Great to be here. It's really uh, good to be back on uh, talking to you. Yeah, a veteran member of Transformation Ground Control. So we are very excited to have you back. And today we're talking um, kind of almost as a capstone conversation of what we've talked about a lot this year, which is kind of SAP epidemic of failures that we've seen. And whether it's high profile news stories, whether it's our own client work when it comes to our restoration and rescue projects, and even our expert witness work, which we're able to do because we have that technology agnostic and independent positioning in the marketplace. So with that, we came up with a, a fun way to kind of talk about it today. And, and we're talking about um, control S for sanity, surviving the soap opera of SAP implementations. Um, so Wayne, I, I Again, I, I know much of our audience knows you, but if you wouldn't mind, would you just give us a quick background um, of what you do here at Third Stage and kind of your um, overall experience with SAP? Yeah, sure. I'm Wayne Holfam. I'm the Vice President for the uh, APAC region, so I'm based in Australia. And probably my background is I've spent the last 25, maybe even a bit longer, I'd don't care to admit that, but um, years in, in in digital transformation, a lot of them have been SAP rollouts. And so uh, there's been good, there's been bad, and there's been really ugly. So Yeah. Yeah, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Well, we're going to cover all of all of that today. But as Wayne said, he manages a lot of our APAC business or all of our APAC business, as well as a lot of our global clients, because we do have clients, you know, that have have parts across the globe that we kind of tackle as a team-based approach. And if you want to see more from Wayne as kind of pre-work for this conversation, he's actually on our playlist and you can um, see all of his, specifically my personal favorites are the process mining and the target operating model he talks about too. But today we're going to talk a little bit about SAP. So Wayne, kind of big question here is why are SAP implementations so difficult? Yeah, well, it's always the big challenge because if you talk to the salesperson for SAP, they aren't difficult. They're very easy to actually roll out. But the challenge is the organization, SAP is quite detailed and it's quite, it requires a lot of understanding of who you are as an organization as well as how you go about the business you actually do. And um, often um, they're sold as if, oh, no, we'll just put our approach in and just roll it out and everything will be all fine on the day. And um, and that's that's the challenge. And I suppose where some of the failures happen is that if we an SAP client already, and we've had SAP for a number of years, and then we're moving to a new, the S4, the problem with that is that Previously, we could sort of do what we wanted. We could customize it to suit our every need. And then when we get to the new S4, it's not as easy to be able to do that. And so um, so that's that's often where that transition is not just an upgrade anymore. It's actually a, a complete shift uh, in the way you think, the way you operate, the, all the screens you see. Um, and that's that's what's so difficult. 
So it sounds like even if you had a legacy SAP product, moving to specifically S4 HANA is almost like a completely new evaluation and implementation. Yeah, it is. And, and, and it's interesting because S4 is looking for um, roles and responsibilities and, and people actually doing certain tasks, whereas previously that was blurred. It was anybody could do anything. You could limit the access that some people might have had to SAP, whereas now it's much more about the roles, processes and responsibilities. And so that's a whole different way of working for many organisations because I've never had that sort of uh, definition about who did what and, and restriction on how they go about and do it. So. so speaking of drama, since we are talking about the soap operas, we see a lot of very high profile SAP failures in news coverage. Do you, still, do you feel like SAP gets a bad rap on that? Um, as we don't see a lot of times as many high profile failures by someone say on the same level like Oracle. Yeah, I think SAP deserves a bit of the, the bad rap they get. And, and, and I'm not being mean there. It's just yeah. the fact that I've got a great sales machine and it makes, makes it like we've just got to flick all these switches and, and the lights are on and such. And, and SAP's not like that. Um, and, and that's the problem is they sell a very easy solution when really it's probably the most complicated solution of all of the RPs I've ever worked with. So, so it's, um, if you've done SAP and done it well, you could roll out any other system, but not many get it right. And that's the challenge, I think, <laughs> that happens with, uh, with SAP implementations. So when you talk about kind of the, the need to define that phase zero planning for SAP implementation, what if you already have that legacy system? We just see so many clients, especially in those high profile cases that are looking at going from their legacy SAP system to S4 HANA or even going to an Oracle ERP opportunity. How do you ensure that you actually know what you're getting into in that evaluation phase and you have kind of that pre-work done? Well, it's an interesting uh, thing for many organizations is that understanding what you do and how much you actually use your current SAP system is, is what that readiness should actually look like. What's my data look like? How should that be? And I'll just share a little, little bit of a story with you. We work with a, a large um, client uh, in, in Asia and, um, and they said, well, we've had SAP for the last 14 years. And so, uh, you know, we're really embedded with SAP. And so we actually did a process mining exercise for a particular section of their business. And we realized that they didn't actually use SAP. They actually used SAP for their financials and they used SAP to actually put numbers into. But no one actually outside of the back office actually used SAP. And so it, it was probably less than 5% of the business that, is, that actually was using SAP. And so you start going, well, should I actually put in SAP again or move or should I put in something new because it's exactly the same thing? And so they actually opted to go to a completely new platform when they realized they actually don't use their SAP. And there's a lot of that happening for clients across the globe where really we don't use SAP in the way we have spreadsheets that feed information into SAP. We draw information out that's based on those spreadsheets that fed it in. Are we using SAP? Not really. And that's that's probably the challenge why many struggle to actually implement either a new platform or SAP again. Wow, that's really interesting. So not that we're going to, we gave your pre-work on process mining, so we won't go down the rabbit hole there. But how important are 
our initiatives like process mining or even maybe pre pre implementation audits to understanding those really critical requirements when looking at a large system like SAP S four Hana. Yeah, we 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 work with a, um, a gap. We call it a gap analysis, and so it's really understanding all of those areas. What's my data like? Where does my data come from? Do I use anything outside the system to feed my system? And so that readiness piece starts to understand how I actually use SAP. What are the processes I have in the business that I actually use that are are value processes? And are there any areas in the business that I find? You know, I've created bottlenecks as such. You know, authorization is always a good one. I might have. You know, I'm buying a paperclip and I need 20 people to sign off on that paperclip because it's spend of money. You know, those sorts of things are things that old SAP, um, I suppose, uh, implementations have, have built up over time. And these days we want to be able to streamline that and smooth that out. So, so the phase zero is a very important part because only then can you actually say, well, here's what I need to address prior to the SI or the solution integrator coming in to configure my new uh, SAP um, solution. If it's S4, it's S4. Um, and, and so there are those, those things that are vital. And, it, and it's interesting, some people say, how long does that take? For a large organization, it might take six months. And so am I prepared to actually wait six months to get my system in? Or am I prepared to actually not do that and then spend 12 months to two years extra than what I thought I could do to actually implement? And that's these failures. Uh, tend to happen and where we start to see them in the news. Absolutely. And that's such a good point. You know, that resourcing point that a lot of a lot of times our client partners do their due diligence, but there's so much conflicting kind of noise in the marketplace around what that should look like. You have kind of the, the vendor speak around it, which of course comes with a, a situational bias. And then you have, you know, consultant speak because you have a co whole consultancy in SAP. And that kind of brings me to my next topic that I wanted to talk to you about, which was really that kind of the cast of characters when you look at an SAP implementation. And a lot of times we can see just chaos on that project team because there's so many different people involved. So who are some main characters in an SAP implementation? And can you describe their roles? Well, there's the, the program owner or sponsor, and I think that's that's one of those areas that, you know, they're like the conductor. And um, the problem is if you're not very good at conducting a, a full piece, you know, a hundred piece orchestra, which is essentially what an SAP implementation is, there's so many different moving moving parts, then then you start to get that chaos happen. And then, then we've got separate project managers that sit under under this program manager because we've got change, we've got data, we've got um, processes, we've got all those sort of project managers that we actually need to have covering and addressing those. And, um, and so that makes it difficult because all of a sudden I need to have them all moving in sequence. I need to have them playing in time. I need to, I need to have things ready at a certain time so I can test that and check that. And, um, and all the time I'm, I'm asking the client or the customer or the organization to give me information as well, which isn't always readily available. And so it's it's a real a comedy of errors as such. It's it's very hard to have a, a um, you know, classical tune come out of a SAP implementation. It's more of, you know, um, uh, you know, a whole lot of people playing individual songs. And that's that's the problem with the characters, characters we have. And so whether it's a sponsor, whether it's a project manager, whether it's it's people within their leads and analysts and those sort of people. They all need to play their part, but they don't always know what the tune is. And that's the difficulty. 
Yeah, that harmony, right, that you need in a healthy project. Absolutely. And when you when you look at teams, you had mentioned one of our clients that have had SAP for 14 years. And honestly, that's kind of a short time to have SAP. There's many people that have had them had them as a legacy system for a very long time. So can you talk about a project team biases when it comes to SAP and how that might lead to implementation challenges? Yeah, and it's it's interesting because when you've had um, uh, when you've when you've got some SIs that are very focused on um, on SAP and they are used of the old SAP where I can get into the back end, write code, change code, customize that code, they have this view that we can make anything happen for you. But with that comes that extra complication of you know trying to be able to test, trying to be able to get it so it actually works together. And so the bias ends up being where the SI is so fixed on, I can make it do what you want because that's what I always did. But it ends up being a dichotomy in the sense that um, SAP don't want you to do that. And so, so it's that challenge they have where they're saying, well, we don't want you to change our code. We want you to actually stay to standard, stay to best practice. And so um, that's, that's often the, the challenge when you've got you know, seasoned SAP SIs that are used to doing it the old way because that's where they drive their dollars, I suppose. That's their billable hours is the more I do in customization, the more I make changes, the more the implementation costs. And so for them, that's a value driver for them. Um, for the organization, they're the innocent person sitting there going, well, I just want what I want and, you know, show me it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's often hard not to be able to, to, be able to see what, they've, uh, what they're actually getting, so... Absolutely. Especially in a system so complex, you know, you would need a year long demo to see, you know, all of the functionalities that you, you really have in that. So this might be a kind of a hard question, but there's, there's so many different SAP specific consultants or someone that might have a financial relationship with SAP. So when you're looking at those consultants, are they the villain in the SAP drama, or who would you say the villain is when it comes to SAP drama implementations? I, I would, I, well, there's, there's there's probably various levels of villains. And so the salesperson's the biggest villain in my mind is because they come in and they sell a dream. And we all love to have a dream, don't we? But then all of a sudden we go, well, uh, can I realize that dream? And then the SI comes in and goes, well, I can help you, you know, I'm here, I'll be able to sort this out for you. And, and so that there's, there's two villains there as such in the sense that one is that I get a, uh, an everlasting uh, stream of money coming in because I bought licenses from SAP or bought access and that's the salespeople. And then I look at the SIs who have got this, well, we can do anything you want. The longer we're here and the more people we have, your system will be great. And then when it doesn't work out that way, it's all of a sudden, well, you signed off on that. So thank you, Mr. Client. And that's where the that's where the challenge is. So there's there's two probably main villains as such. Um, but I don't think the the client gets off free in that in the sense that you know if they really don't know what they want, they can let one of these projects go way out of control before they actually really realise that it's way out of control. And I think that's the that's the that's the other part, and that's the 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 person who's being you know um, shadowed with all of this uh, this wonderment of uh, of the dream that they purchased, but but now it's not actually turning out that way. That's incredible. That's definitely um, a, a lot to manage. So as of, you know, a, 
Obviously, SAP targets large, complex, likely global organizations. So you have a lot under you. But if you are a, a project manager, really with any system, how do you ensure that you keep ownership over those strategic goals that you want to achieve as a business, as opposed to getting, you know, enchanted um, by some of some of this this really powerful sales jargon from both your SI and your vendor, who are supposed to be trusted partners. Yeah, that's right. And I, th I think that one of the things that the business, the organisation itself, has to take control and so okay, understand how do we operate, what do we want to operate, and when we're looking at demonstrations. Can you show me how your system would do that? And all of a sudden you start to get that, that ownership that actually controls then what's happening. And so all of a sudden you get that view of here's what I need to happen. And so can you make that happen for me? Whereas if we leave it up to the, to the SI, they don't know your business really. And so they often look at other businesses they've worked with or just their own general view of life and and we'll we'll craft something that actually suits what they need not necessarily what the business needs and uh, and when you get that situation that's where you get that the users don't like using it they want to go back to their spreadsheets um you know and failure starts to be the word that uh, is on everyone's lips absolutely so rounding out kind of our our cast of characters and how to kind of manage to them what does your team do when it comes to a large sap either implementation restoration selection project what does what's your role in that so, so it's interesting we we um we we help build the operating model so how's the business want to operate in this new environment so that's one of the things we do the second thing we do is understand we do the gap analysis so how do you operate today? So instead of doing a lot of as is mapping and all of that sort of thing, we actually go out on site and we actually look at how people actually do what they do. So if I'm going to produce a widget, I'm going to do something, what information am I sourcing to actually produce that and supply that sort of thing? And so we get a picture of what that looks like. And then we understand what's the new system looking for. And so that's that gap. And so we work on some readiness projects then that allow us to be able to close that gap. And so if we, people aren't using the system, the aim is to drive them back to using the system as such because it makes sense to use the system, not just because it's a system that's a new one. And and so that's that's the sort of work we do. And then with the SI, it's about defining those, what we call deliverables. Um, and so the deliverables are my data. So have I got good data? What am I going to do to actually clean that up, create that, build that? Um, so when the SI comes in, they have a very clear plan of approach. Their discovery can be quite short, six weeks is what they typically have, um, because all of the answers have already been provided. And so they can actually say, I have an answer to this question, this question, this question, and then I can go off and design and build. And so whereas what you usually find is they come in and they go, oh, I don't have an answer for that. I don't have an answer for that. Okay, we need to go off and build this. And that's where we start losing control of our project. And when do you see kind of to to go from the cast of characters to kind of, you know, the the plot twist, if you will, we see headlines around SAP failures that are in the hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. So how did those go so incredibly wrong? And at what point, I'm sure there were a variety of points, but is there a some point that those red flags start to fly when it comes to what's going on with our project and how do we ensure we, we need to course correct now? 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting you say because I've, I've been involved in some expert witness cases and I've also been involved in projects that, you know, some have gone six years and uh, still not gone live. And so, so, so that's staggering to think, how come someone hasn't pulled this up earlier? Um, but it is that thing of the, 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 the understanding of governance and assurance. It's making sure that you have actually completed all of that pre-works before you start doing design and those sorts of other things. Because if you're designing something and you don't have all of the information, the challenge is what are you designing? And that's where the cost blows out. And there's course corrections constantly happening uh, over that time. And all of a sudden you start to go, well, should I be course correcting this? Or is it something that, you know, we need to actually really look at the whole project and actually reset fully. Whereas we sort of course correct little bits and we don't actually address the overall issue. And that's why it just keeps blowing out. So, and the SI is quite happy to be able to help, help in the sense that they just get billable hours. We bring another, another team in and, you know, it's all good. And, uh, but you as the client or the organization, you're paying the bills and that's where the, the problem is. And so there's not the deterrent for the SI because they go, well, you know, you signed off on this previous design. So, oh, well, we'll fix it for you now. And, and obviously the comes, a cost comes with that. Absolutely. And, and so when we look at kind of how those failures happened, kind of unwind that, looking at kind of the chapters or the different acts in this soap opera drama, when we look at integrations or something like being able to utilize SAP as your core function, but say you need a different application or a bolt-on for some sort of competitive advantage, SAP has been notorious around not integrating well or not playing well with others. What are some things that you can do to ensure that you have that interoperability strategy fully baked before you pick a system and invest so much dollars or you know any sort of currency in this specific new technology if you're not sure if it will work across your other technology stack? That's interesting you, uh, uh, question, Kyla, because from, from my perspective, it's about looking at the functional architecture. You know, there's solution architecture many people talk about or enterprise architecture. The functional architecture says, well, if I've got a uh, CRM system that's not, say, SAP, and I've got SAP in the middle, and I've got some other systems there, how am I going to get going to get them all to talk? And so integration is the often the, the way to do that. But if I'm starting to look at it and say, well, I'm, I'm taking information uh, from that system, and I need to reinterpret it into SAP, that's a very complex integration. And so that's where you find the complexity starts to happen in the sense that I need really detailed, you know, rule-based integrations that actually are sending my information, turning it into something else, and then putting it into SAP to understand. And then I've got to send it back to that system when, it, when something's changed. And so, so that's often the problem is that we don't really understand how we want that flow of information to go from one system to the other. We just bolt things on. And, you know, sometimes when you bolt it on, it doesn't line up. And so all of a sudden we have to write very, very complex information flows which is integrations to be able to make that happen and so that's that's the problem um old sap was a lot harder to actually integrate it was more of a standalone platform today it's a little bit easier but still you need to understand what you want to flow where you want to flow and how much change of that flow needs to happen in the course of the integration and I, I tell this story to everyone because I still feel like I'm shocked to this day to hear it. But we, we recently had a client that came to us 
looking for help with their SAP implementation because they built that customized integration with their SI and then did not realize that their SI actually owned it. They they own the intellectual property, excuse me, around building that customized integration. So is is that something that that you see a lot with your you know bigger global clients when it comes to kind of what you talked about? Should you customize to not customize? You know the balance between where does business process meet the technology? Yeah, and that's often a problem because I get the SI in and I get them to customize or create. Uh, specialized integrations and all of a sudden that custom code is theirs. It's it's something that, you know, it's often written. There isn't a, uh, a step-by-step rule book on how it's done. It's usually left up to the consultant to write that. And so then if I bring another consultant in, they'll look at it and go, oh, no, that's not right. And so, or I can't work on that because I don't, you know, it's not, not our code. And that's a challenge that organizations um, don't often understand until they've either changed their size or or they've got some problems with the code and they lose face and, and so they want to actually get someone else in to look at it. And it's it's specialized code and that's the difficulty with um, with SAP. You know, these days there's a lot more already packaged uh, integrations with our plug and play. They're much, much simpler to be able to have in in uh, so you can so anybody can work on those. They're standard code. Um, follow standard protocols and so, but not always SAP, SIs do it that way. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's always just sometimes you you get to see kind of the industry pivoting to more transparency and then you hear a story like that and you're like, what in the world is happening? Um, but it, I mean, it's it's obviously very prevalent and that's why, you know, the, the steps of, you know, understanding that phase zero planning, understanding your requirements, that contracting phase is is so critical as you outlined earlier. So, I want to talk about kind of the new season of SAP, if you will. So what does, as we come right now, when we're talking, having this conversation, it's late 2023. So what does 2024 really look like for SAP implementations? They've had a rough couple of years when it comes to just overall perspective, um, just, you know, failures all over the place. What do you think that 2024 is going to look like? Is it going to be something that they actually kind of revamp that? I know for us at Third Stage, we've gotten a lot more strategic alliances at SAP interested in kind of working with our independents. So it seems from our end, there is some shift in wanting to create that change. And then also, I'll also ask you as a part of this question about the new SAP mid-market push as well, trying to meet kind of NetSuite where it is or other kind of mid-market manufacturing areas. They've seen to really kind of bolt onto that space in the last couple months too. So what does the future look like with your crystal ball, Wayne, for SAP? <laughs> well, I think it, it's interesting because SAP is coming from a place that um, of, of where they have a good market market share as such. And, and a lot of people have SAP. Moving forward, the challenge they've had is getting people to want to actually go to a new SAP. They've, they've, they've sort of identified that we're not going to support it any longer and they've bought out new solutions. And But what they're finding is that new SAP is not old SAP and so it's not a complete transition. So for them, they've offered new packages of uh, SaaS and uh, so, you know, so subscription as a service type uh, SAP where we've got a custom set up or not a, or a standard set up that's a multi-tenant um, that we can actually have people all join just like uh, other 
um, software vendors have done. But they're using the old way of, of constructing that in the background, the back code. And so it's not as still as flexible as some of the more, you know, uh, systems that have been built, built to suit um, multi-tenant. And, um, and so for them, it's going to be a bit of a challenge. And they're pushing into, you know, the, the risk they've got is the big players aren't moving because they're not sure what they should go to and they see a lot of risk in it. So how do you make sales? You go to a different market. And so the mid-sales is where they're starting to push now because they see that as probably a less complicated um, area of the business or area of the market. And um, and so that that keeps sales generating because they're not getting the sales from the, the larger players. You know, there's there's some SAP implementations that have actually been stalled, been halted because, you know, they're too too complicated as such. And so... You know, with probably still uh, 70% of SAP um, current ECC6 um, customers still waiting to move to something else, and we've got the deadline looming of 2027, I think it is, which is coming on pretty fast. Um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a huge bottleneck that, that has to happen. Someone's got to change and shift somewhere. And SAP is, I think, needs to probably think a little bit more about how they ready their clients to actually feel comfortable that they are okay to make that move. And I don't think selling a shiny, bright system um, is quite enough yet to actually um, to, uh, to overcome that, that risk that organizations see. Yeah. Do you have the um, very grouchy ladybug children's book in Australia? Yes, yes. Yeah, by Eric Carl. So that reminds me of the very grouchy ladybug because the preface of the book is this very grouchy ladybug goes and sees all this different animals and it says, oh, you're not big enough to fight with me because it's a very grouchy ladybug. And it kind of reminds me of SAP because in the end, it decides that it actually is humble enough to fight with these different animals over the aphids on the leaf. And now here we see SAP kind of go back to businesses that they've historically said, oh, you're not big enough for us um, type of thing. And they've tried to kind of revamp that. So we'll have to kind of see how, how that goes. Cause it's a, you know, it's a very interesting strategic decision, but of course SAP is a great system. It, it might make sense for some mid-market businesses. Well, it does make sense. And you know, there's a lot of pressure to think, well, uh, SAP's been around for a long time. It's a great product, and there are some um, some implementations that have got a great result. So we can't always say they are bad. But if you look at the pathway they they uh, took to actually get that great result, they did a lot of thinking first. They understood their business, and SAP was able to satisfy that result for them. The gap is if we don't understand, we want a shortcut. We want to actually do things really really quickly then we end up with this, I've got something that it doesn't want to play the same tune as I have. And so, and that's the difficulty that uh, SAP faces moving forward. And you look at a lot of the global players that have SAP today, they've customized it so it works really, really well. So what am I going to go to now if I can't have customizations or a level of functionality that I've, I've become accustomed to? And so, you know, a lot of the large miners and those sort of people have very mature SAP instances. Do I want to change? <laughs> what am I going to? You know, these are some of the things that, that are on organizations' minds, you know, and uh, and so how do I, what, what's better out there than what I have today since I've actually made it really work for me and my people actually use it. And so so that's some of the challenges that, um, that organizations face. 
Yeah. And it's always great to have partners like you and your team too, because sometimes when we come in and do an evaluation like that or a current state assessment, like you mentioned, we say, you know, actually there's just some tweaks in your operations or your business processes that you can make because we don't have those financial relationships with selling you any additional system. So that's not our priority. Our priority is to make sure that the technology is working for your organization. That's right. And and often it's like you, you're doing those tweaks that actually drive that value as against saying, well, let's throw out that system because it doesn't work. Um, and that, and that's often a benefit as well, I think, for organisations because they can actually then start to understand the business a bit better, knowing the system they have and they don't have that complexity of I've got to change the system, I've got to get better at what I do. And there's a lot of work in all of that. And so um, so sometimes even before you're looking at putting a new system in, Getting that assessment and understanding, you know, what do I do? What would it need? What would it take? How could I improve? Those sorts of things are really, really valuable because if you get that right, the implementation becomes a whole lot easier to actually deliver. Absolutely. So ending on a high note, let's go into some happily ever afters. Because as you mentioned, it's not always that SAP implementations fail. Sometimes SAP implementations go really well. Can you give us some examples of what that might look like for um, businesses that have kind of thrived on an SAP implementation? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, uh, in there's a, a utility client that I, that I know of here in Australia, and and uh, they actually put in SAP, and uh, and they actually got it to the point that it was so functional that they could do every aspect of their business through SAP, and so all of the users actually used SAP. All the reports that were created, they may have done some custom reports, which is standard for SAP, but custom using the data out of SAP. Um, and so that's a really good outcome because all of a sudden I'm using the system completely. And then recently in S4, similar type thing where I, I built the, uh, the business around the roles, responsibilities. I made it uh, functional so people could actually put information in from the field. I was getting information into, this, into the system. And so I'm able to use system, the system to make decisions. And that's a really great outcome. And SAP can make that happen if you actually approach it the right way. And so uh, that functional architecture is a big piece to that. How do I get my information in? How do I use that information? And am I using the system? And I think that's that's for every system, but SAP in particular. If you're not using SAP as the system of choice and your preference is a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet, and feeding information in, then you're not really using SAP. And I think that's a lot of organizations, that's the first tick on the box, how many spreadsheets do you actually have? Uh, we'll give you a view of how much you're actually using your SAP. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you mentioned earlier, that's so important on the other side of that too. Maybe you are using the system and there's just a few you know, recommendations that you can put in as far as different behaviors to ensure you're optimizing or reaching the overall potential of the system that you do have. And it can be a happy ending. Oh, it can be. And if it's if the users are using it and they find it easy to use, it's really, really good to actually um, see see the value SAP can have. You know, the new Fiori that SAP has, the user interface, isn't all of those crazy transactions that um, most people talk. I think I think one of the things you talk about SAP lingo. So we could talk about, you know, IW29 and IW36 and all of those sort of things. That's all the lingo that you talk to the old world of SAP. But the new world, it's about 
what am I doing? What's the task I'm doing? I'm going to pay an account. And so that's a lot more usable if you get people using the system and the information's in there. And so, so that's the difference, I think, that um, from old to new is uh, the way people interact with it and the interface they actually have. Very good. Well, this has been an unbelievably great conversation. So thank you for sharing your insight. Any final thoughts on you want to share around SAP implementations just in general? Uh, I, th I think that people, sh <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting with, uh, we've, we've got a client at the moment that's looking at, uh, they've been sold a global template for SAP. And, uh, and where they've rolled it out in, in a couple of their global instances, they've realized that the global template doesn't actually fit for their business. So they've had to make a lot of modifications. And so, so it's about saying, stepping back and saying, well, what do I really need? And looking at it from that perspective. And then if they understand that SAP can be a really great option for them. But without doing that and listening to the fact that, well, we've got this, this out of the box model, just unpack it out and look, we've constructed it and it'll be fine doesn't suit everybody. And I think that's the challenge that people are facing is, um, you know, believing that, you know, one size fits all, um, you know, and you should be able to, I'm not saying customization here, I'm saying configuration and adapt your business to it being more consistent in the way it operates is the other part to that is not just saying, not blaming software completely. It's you as an organization, how can you be a bit more consistent in what you do? So uh, there's, and, and there's lots of instances where we have really complicated back office processes that we don't need. So most most definitely, you have to have you know the right system that fits your requirements, but you also have have to have healthy business practices, good data hygiene to ensure that they can work together in that harmonious, great analogy you gave about the symphony. I love that. If you don't mind it, I'm going to steal it. Moving forward. <laughs> but if you'd like to learn more about SAP, we do actually have, I'll pop it up on the screen here, or you can get it in the description if you are um, consuming this on an audio um, platform, our, our guide to SAP S4HANA. And this is a 60 plus page playbook that really gives you kind of step by step of how do you ensure that you are doing effective phase zero planning, that you have the implementation resources, understand that, and that you are optimizing via user adoption and other strategies as well. So I highly recommend that. Um, and if you do want to reach out to Wayne, you can um, reach out to him at firstname.lastname at thirdstage-consulting.com, or he is available in our team section on our website. So thank you so much again, Wayne. It was so great to talk to you as always, and we will see you next time. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Kyla. Great chat. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com.